Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. If you would, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back there by the AV booth. That's, uh, that's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you, you have the Word of God in your hand. As you turn there, let me review from last week. We learned a, about a, a crucial biblical figure we were introduced to a man who is so vital to the church that he was written into the Christian creeds of Christendom. His name is forever next to God and the Virgin Mary in the, in the Apostles' Creed. So who are we talking about? Pontius Pilate. We took a shallow dive into the pool of, of Pilate's life last week and we saw what kind of leader he was he was a, a brazen, arrogant, violent man. And one of, of Pilate's biggest problems is that he despised the Jews. And that was no secret. Ultimately, that led to his downfall. Uh, we wrapped up last Sunday by discussing how arrogant and violent um, this man was and that he really was a Roman pagan. And at the same time, he was amazed by Jesus. So why was this brutal politician, why was he amazed with Jesus? Because as the governor over Palestine, he, you know, this man had sentenced lots of people to die, but no one ever responded to the sentence of crucifixion like Jesus of Nazareth. No one. Ultimately, Jesus wasn't threatened by Pilate because Jesus, he, he didn't act like his life was in Pilate's hands because ultimately it wasn't. Jesus, as the Son of God, he was in the Father's hands. Jesus knew that Pilate was a, a theological term, a secondary cause. Jesus knew that Pilate was a secondary cause to the plan of salvation. God the Father, he's the primary cause. Jesus knew that nothing would prevent him from dying on a wooden Roman cross at 3 p.m. on that Passover day. One of the key points from last week was this. Jesus was not acting like he was getting ready to die because he wasn't. Now, please don't misunderstand. Jesus did die. He did. But Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? Jesus has the audacity to walk out of his grave just like he said he would. God is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper. Ultimately, Jesus had nothing to fear because he knew that the physical pain and the emotional suffering 
being separated from the Father. It's all temporary. This is all temporary. So, dear friends, do you know that your pain in this life is temporary as well? Do you know God's promises in Scripture? Reading and praying over these promises over your life, they are reminders of what is to come. And yet it's so easy for us to forget that, isn't it? The gift of salvation, it's so simple to understand that we sometimes, we forget that there is an end to this life on earth. And dear friends, let me remind you that this life is as bad as it gets if you're a child of God. And for all of us, this life is much better than we deserve. So, if you're going through a trial, if somehow you've forgotten that, let me give you some encouragement this morning. Jesus promised us this in John chapter 14, verse 1. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and then believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms And if it weren't so, would have have I told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is talking about the rapture being plucked. Jesus is our groom. We are his church. We are his bride. And someday, very, very soon, Jesus is going to make good on that promise. I mean, think about it. Just as God gave Noah the boat to spare them from his wrath on sin, God gave us the rapture. So dear friends, this home that you live in today, (laughs) it's not your home. It's more like an extended stay hotel room. (laughs) So please don't get too comfortable in it because y'all are going to be changing zip codes pretty soon. All right. So all that to say this, Jesus did not behave like a person whose life was in Pilate's hands last week because it wasn't. In other words, Jesus didn't fear death. And we too have no reason to fear. God is our heavenly father. He is not our judge. Your sin has been judged on that empty cross behind me. He's not on that cross. He's not even in the grave. He is ruling and reigning, sitting next to the Father, and he is not stressed out. He's not walking back and forth. He's not wringing his hands. He may even have his feet propped up. He's in complete control of the cosmos. Now, we left our story from last Sunday when, when Pilate found out that Jesus is a Galilean. Even though Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Jesus' home base for ministry was in Galilee. So Pilate sends Jesus to King Herod because Galilee is Herod's jurisdiction. Herod, he also finds Jesus innocent after he mocks him a bit. He sends him back to Pilate. 
Now, Pilate has an even bigger problem on his hands because the Sanhedrin, the, uh, the Jewish Supreme Court, they're working themselves into a frenzy now. Why are they so uptight? Because these doggone politicians are taking way too long to do anything. They're turning into this angry mob demanding that Pilate judge and condemn Jesus of Nazareth to death via crucifixion. Now, at this point, Pilate would like to just call out his troops and kill everybody to, to get the day over with. Uh, but he knows he can't do that. From a political perspective, Pilate's been formally warned by Rome about his administrative style. The emperor warned Pilate of all the heavy-handedness, all the violence without just cause. So needless to say here, another uprising from the Jews is not going to look good on Pilate's record. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all this, Pilate has an idea that was going to get him out of this mess. What's the idea? Well, today we meet a new character. And if you thought Pilate was a bit shady, well, you're in for a real treat today. Uh, we're going to meet a man named Barabbas. Who is this man and why do you care? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15. I'm going to start in verse 1 to give us the full context of what's going on here. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders and the scribes in the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priest tied Jesus up, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you say so. The chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate questioned him again. Aren't you going to answer? I mean, look how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer, and so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. And Pilate answered, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. And Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Again, they shouted, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What's he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. The psalmist writes, I pursue the way of your commands, for you broaden my understanding. Father, we pray for you to broaden our understanding this morning as we go through your, your word verse by verse so that we can experience you day by day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Take a deeper look here starting in verse 6. 
At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. So we know from last week that the Sanhedrin, they are in an uproar at this moment. They are dead set, literally, on murdering Jesus. Pilate, he is in a political position that he would not rather be in. And even though Pilate hates the Jews, and even though he knows that Jesus is innocent of all these bogus charges, he is trying to maintain some sort of justice at this moment. Uh, Certainly more justice than the Jews had provided for Jesus. And yet, at the same time, Pilate, being the politician that he is, he's also concerned about his own career. He knows, that, he knows the danger in provoking and offending the Jewish leaders. And we learned last week about Pilate's management style, right? His, his default mode is violence. So in the back of Pilate's mind is the fact that he doesn't need another incident uh, from the Jews. And the Jews remind him of this. In John 19, 12, the Jews shouted, you know, Pilate, if you release this man... You're not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So the Jews, they just continue to run over whoever gets in the way of their mission to kill God. So just when Pilate thinks he has run out of options, the light bulb goes on. Ding. Verse 7. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. Now, there is some grim irony here, uh, starting in verse 7. The name Barabbas, it means son of the father. Bar means son of, Abba means father. And if that's not weird enough, in Matthew's gospel, specifically if you have the NIV translation, tells us that the Barabbas is, is this man's last name. His first name, Jesus. Jesus means God saves. So Barabbas, God saves by an earthly father. And then we have Jesus the Christ, God saves by his anointed. So stay with me here. The drama continues to unfold. Jesus Barabbas is actually guilty of the crime of which Jesus the Christ is accused. You've got one Jesus guilty of a real revolt. And the other Jesus, he's accused of causing a fake revolt. Now, we don't know what kind of rebellion Barabbas was a part of. What we do know is that there were minor revolts all the way through Roman rule. Uh, Regardless, Barabbas and his buddies, they got caught. Barabbas is a thief. He is a murderer. We know this from Luke chapter 23. Most likely, that means he's a zealot. So Barabbas and his buddies have been found guilty. They are waiting to be executed. And Rome was pretty quick to punish any threat against them. So this rebellion that Barabbas was a part of probably happened fairly recently. Uh, This is front page news at the time. In verse 8, the crowd came up. They began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. So the crowd that consists of the chief priests, the religious leaders, and then also all these people now celebrating Passover. So there was a custom at Passover that would give amnesty to a prisoner of the people's choice. 
This tradition is known outside the Gospels in Scripture. It is a Roman tradition, however. So Pilate has an idea. He has in custody a famous criminal named Barabbas. So Pilate's idea is this, that he would give the crowd a choice of who they want to give amnesty to. Pilate, of course, he's thinking that they're going to give amnesty to Jesus the Christ. And in, who's a, in his opinion, he's harmless. Jesus the Christ is harmless. Jesus is not a thief. He is not a murderer like Barabbas. Barabbas is condemned. He, he's, he's ready to go. This, this whole thing is a no-brainer. I mean, who would you want back on your street? <laughs> a man who physically and spiritually heals people or a man who plunders and destroys? Verse 9, Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? Now, verse 9, unfortunately, this is, it really shows the immaturity of Pilate by calling Jesus the king of the Jews, Pilate intentionally irritates the religious leaders. You know, it's never wise to go poke an angry bear in the eye with a stick. It's never an, a good idea to poke a bear with a stick at any time, I guess. But even though Pilate is being immature here, he's being snarky, it is clear that he wants to release Jesus instead of Barabbas. He just can't help himself to get one last dig in. And that's what he's doing. To pilot the charge that Jesus is the king of the Jews. That's just crazy. That's nonsense. But if Jesus was the kind of king that they wanted, he was ready to release Jesus just to get this whole thing over with. But why is Pilate being snarky? Verse 10, for he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. So even though Pilate is immature and violent, this man's not dumb. You don't become the governor over uh, Palestine by being dumb. He recognizes that behind all of this chaos is the religious leader's envy. Why are they so envious of Jesus? Because Jesus exposed their hypocrisy. He challenged their authority. He threatened their religion. Jesus performed miracles. He forgave sin. None of the religious leaders could do any of that. And it's right here in our narrative that Matthew's gospel tells us about an unplanned interruption. Matthew 27, 19. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, so that's Pilate, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For today I've, I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. So this interruption's a bit awkward have you ever been in a really important meeting, like a super important life-changing meeting? Your phone rings and it's your spouse. Ring, ring. Yeah, babe, I can go pick up some milk after. after. <laughs> That's what happens here. Phone doesn't ring. He gets a note. So he stops the meeting right in the middle of all this madness. Now, many people believe that this dream was a dream from God himself. Now, let me ask you, why would God the Father cause a dream to prevent Jesus from accomplishing his mission? Because if Pilate listens to his wife, Jesus is not lifted up. He doesn't die on a tree. He is not cursed. 
like the Old Testament scripture says. I mean, Jesus himself, he prophesied death by crucifixion. So if Jesus is not crucified, that would make him a liar. That would make him a false prophet. And there is no salvation. So dear friends, this dream was not from God. It was either a dream based on her own fear of the situation of what was going on, or it was demonically inspired. She knew who Jesus was. Everybody knew who Jesus was. She knew about Jesus coming into Jerusalem days before the crowds were worshiping him as Hosanna. She knew that her husband Pilate sent out 600 soldiers to arrest one man, Jesus, the night before. So it's possible that her dream was fear-induced. The fear is not, doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with protecting her husband. Y'all with me? She's trying to protect her husband. So secondly, it's, it's also a very good possibility here that her dream was demonically inspired or in, induced. Or maybe it was both. I mean, think about it. Satan does not want Jesus to die on this Passover via crucifixion. I mean, he does want Jesus to die any other way at any other time. Please remember here that Satan is the world's greatest deceiver. And to be a great deceiver, you have to be the world's best theologian. So it's during this break in the action where we see the Sanhedrin really go to work here in verse 11. The chief priests, they stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. We said earlier, Pilate's not dumb. Well, the religious leaders, they're not dumb either. They see what Pilate's doing with Barabbas, but they're not going to back down here. So they work the crowd into a full-blown frenzy. Now, why do you think it was easy for the religious leaders to convince the crowd to vote for Barabbas instead of Jesus? I mean, remember, Barabbas is front page news. He possibly was trying to free Israel from Roman rule. So it was easy for the crowd to vote for Barabbas because Barabbas is a man of action. Jesus is not. See, Barabbas was probably a political activist. Jesus was a political pacifist. And in the crowd's twisted thinking here, uh, Barabbas is a national patriot. It's Jesus Barabbas who is the true Israelite, which meant that he seemed more like Robin Hood. Barabbas may have been somewhat of a hero in, to, to many people in Israel. His zeal, his leadership appealed to the crowd. Jesus the Christ, however, they disappointed them with his inaction, especially when it came, when it came to political issues. So, Barabbas seems more like a Messiah than Jesus the Christ. The people chose lawlessness instead of righteousness. They chose violence instead of love. They think that evil is good and good is evil. Oh, that's a sermon for a different day. So it's at this moment, Barabbas seems more logical. He's, it's, it's much more logical to think that Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas is Israel's Messiah. No true Messiah would endure all the abuse and all the humiliation like Jesus the Christ at that moment. I mean, look at him. Jesus is bloodied. He's dirty. He's, he's been beaten, spit on, and humiliated. 
See, at the end of the day, Israel did not want the true son of the heavenly father. They didn't want, they didn't want Jesus, the anointed one. They wanted a different Jesus. They wanted a, a son of an earthly father. They wanted a son of Adam. Christ told the Pharisees in Matthew 23 that they want a son from hell. Wow. They chose a Jesus that they could live with. They chose a Jesus that they could understand. They chose a Jesus who could not make them feel guilty or would not make them feel guilty about their own sin. See, they chose a Jesus who did not tell them to repent because the kingdom of God is near. Ultimately, they chose the Jesus of this world, a Jesus who looks and acts and talks just like us. And they chose Jesus Barabbas because they were disappointed with Jesus the Christ. Now let's pause because we have a very a teachable moment here. When was the last time that you were disappointed with God? They were disappointed with God. When's the last time you're disappointed with Him? How long have you been praying and waiting? Waiting and praying. That you just knew that God would show up in a certain way to solve your problem, but He didn't. And if that's not painful enough, He, he continues to not show up on your time frame and in your ways, the way that you thought that He would. You start to think through your situation logically. Instead of reading God's Word, you choose to read man's opinion. Any book from the New York Times bestseller will do. Instead of seeking the Lord's face through prayer, it's much easier to seek man's opinion, isn't it? You start to change your thoughts and your plans, and you start to take things into your own hands because Jesus is not doing anything. And before you know it, you're asking for Jesus Barabbas to make things happen because Jesus the Christ, he's just taking way too long. So all that to say, Pilate was speechless by the crowd's response when they asked for Barabbas. So Pilate's plan misfires here, and now the crowd begins to rage at Jesus. Excuse me, at Pilate. Pilate cannot believe the anger, the bitter hostility of this crowd. So verse 12, Pilate asked them again, What do you want me to do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Verse 12, dear friends, that is one of the most important questions you too will ever answer. Will you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the anointed one? Or will you mock him like the Sanhedrin? Are you going to laugh at him like the Roman soldiers? Are you going to believe and then later betray him like Judas did because you're not getting your way? That God's not on your time frame. Maybe you're going to ignore him like King Herod or judge him like Pontius Pilate. Your answer, really the, the world's answer, very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> because in God's providence, Jesus is not the one who's on trial here. It's all of us. We're the ones on trial that's what this life is for. We have to decide what we're going to do with this man named Jesus the Christ. Well, we know what the crowd does. 
Verse 13, again, they shouted, crucify him. So not only do they choose Jesus Barabbas over Jesus the Christ, well, now they choose crucifixion for his death. And the irony continues here. None of this makes any sense. You got Jesus the Christ who had no interest in causing riots or any kind of social rebellion. Now he's going to be crucified between two rebels. Jesus Barabbas, on the other hand, who is guilty of murder, he's going to go free because Jesus the Christ has literally stepped in and taken his place on the cross. Wow, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Brings us to key point number one. When Jesus the Christ, or what Jesus the Christ did for Jesus Barabbas physically, the same thing he did for you and I spiritually. What Jesus the Christ did for Jesus Barabbas physically, that is the same thing he did for us spiritually. So when we talk about Christ being the substitute, right? Jesus in my place, theologically, uh, substitutionary atonement. This is a very visible picture of what took place. Jesus took your place on that cross and mine. Um, In other words, Barabbas, and this is interesting, Barabbas represents every child of God who calls on the name of Jesus. So verse 14, Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So when Pilate asked why, the the Jews, they only shout louder. Pilate at this point is shouted down. The only answer Pilate was going to hear from the crowd was a louder demand for the crucifixion of Jesus the Christ. So at this point, the crowd has reached a stage where they're just beyond reason No death for Christ, but crucifixion would satisfy them. And really the change of attitude here in the Jewish people in just a few short days is so tragic, isn't it? Just five days prior, on Sunday, they were shouting Hosanna. They were putting palm branches uh, in Jesus' path, they were worshiping him as the one true living God. And now on Friday, they're shouting, crucify him. Verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. So we're learning how Pilate satisfied the crowd by saving his own skin. He gave them exactly what they wanted. Pilate realizes that he has a full-blown riot on his hands if if he does not do this. And basically, he's going to avoid this riot at all costs. So in other words, Pilate wants to satisfy the crowds at the cost of justice. Now, it is pretty interesting to me that this event occurred over 2,000 years ago, but yet a mob mentality, that has never changed. Crowds are fickle, aren't they? This mob mindset will change at a moment's notice. We've all seen the riots over the past couple years. Crowds don't make any sense. Their decision-making doesn't make any sense because they don't have any sense. Same thing here. Verse 15, after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. 
Now, let me stop here for just one second. I want to give you a personal aside from me, uh, kind of a disclaimer as we move forward here. We're going to move into the part of this narrative where Jesus is flogged and scourged and then crucified. <clears throat> I, I love teaching you about Jesus, and I love teaching you the Bible, but I don't like teaching this part of the gospel because I can't stand the thought of what happens to Jesus that it really happens. I mean, imagine what you would do if someone were to lay a hand on, on your spouse or your child or, or someone that you love the most in this world. How much more for Jesus, your Savior, how would you respond? So I, I am going to teach the text. I'm going to teach it like I normally do all the way through uh, chapter 15 over the next several weeks. But by doing so, I pray that this part of the narrative Especially, it's not simply an exercise in head knowledge. I pray that, that, teach, that this teaching reaches our hearts and it does something to us. That it leads us to repentance. That we would stop doing what we've always done. That we would hate our sin. And we would turn around and we would love righteousness. So Pilate had Jesus flogged, had him scourged. Flogging, scourging, let me give you the definition here. Uh, it's the same thing. It's a punishment by repeated lashes or blows um, from a whip or a rod. The Old Testament recognized flogging as a form of punishment. In the Jewish version of flogging, there was a set limit of the number of times that you could beat someone. And that limit was 40. Women were exempt from being flogged or even witnessing a flogging. Children were not flogged. They were disciplined with rods. Flogging was so grotesque that it even horrified the emperor Domitian. And that's saying something. Uh, Jesus warned his disciples that they would be flogged. In the book of Acts, the apostles were flogged by the Sanhedrin. Before Paul was converted, he was known as Saul. He had believers flogged when he was persecuting the church. And then he became a believer, and the apostle Paul himself received 40 lashes minus one at the hands of the Jews five times. So the apostle Paul was flogged five separate times. He was also beaten with rods three separate times for spreading the gospel and planting churches. As you may know, one of the, the purposes of flogging for a capital punishment case was to shorten the duration of the crucifixion. Many times the flogging was so brutal that the prisoners died before uh, they reached the cross. So the question becomes, well, wait a second. How, how does the Apostle Paul, how is he flogged five times and then he doesn't die? And then Jesus is flogged once and he nearly dies before he gets to the cross. Well, there are two versions of the, this punishment. You have the Jewish version and the Roman version. The Jewish version of the scourge, the actual weapon, it had a wood handle. It had short leather uh, lashes connected to it. 
For the Jews, the only part of the body that was beaten was the victim's back. The whipping, however, was, was so excruciating, um, they never did that again, but it was never deadly. And that's why Paul endured the flogging by the Jews every single time. However, Jesus wasn't flogged by the Jews. He was flogged by the Romans. The Romans did not have a set number of blows or lashes that they would strike a, a person with. Additionally, the, the Roman version of the scourge was, was also different. It had longer lashes. So basically, these lashes would wrap around the whole body, not, not just the back. At the end of each lash was also a piece of metal, some kind of nail, um, sharp lamb bones, or even jagged metal balls. It was called a scorpion. So needless to say, the Romans were perfectors of pain. And to flog Jesus, what they first did, the Romans first stripped him down naked. They then tied his hands above his head to a post, or they forced him to bend over a low pole. Usually not one, but two soldiers flogged um, the condemned, one on each side of the victim. Um, the reason that there were two people, two soldiers doing this was because of the amount of energy that it took to flog someone. It only took a few lashes of the Roman scourge to, to where the victim's skin was torn away and the muscle was exposed. So all that to say this, Jesus's entire body was impacted. The front, the back, his sides, and his face Many paintings of Jesus, uh, of the crucifixion, they, they don't reveal the true horror of his flogging. Often these paintings reveal Jesus' face intact, except for the blood that was caused by the, the uh, crown of thorns, but that's not accurate at all. In reality, his face would have been a bloody, pulpy mass. By the... Uh, by the end of a Roman flogging, family members no longer recognized its victim. Jesus, by being flogged by the Romans, fulfilled prophecy that day. Isaiah 52, 14, just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he didn't, he didn't look like a man. His form did not resemble a human being. If you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen that movie, I would encourage you to watch it in its entirety. Yeah. She said, not again. You know why? Because you'll never get those images out of your mind. But that's why, we, that's why I'm encouraging people that have never seen it to see it. And here's the reason that I'm encouraging to watch it is because we are so disconnected from the Old Testament sacrificial system. We have no idea what that looks like. For, for many of us, we read through the Old Testament too quickly, especially when it comes to the book of Numbers and Leviticus, right? Are those, are those pages still stuck together in your Bible? 
Why are they still stuck? Why are there no notes in the book of Numbers and Leviticus? Because we don't want to read the intricate details of all the different sacrifices that the Israelites had to go through. We don't want to hear about the various animals being slaughtered for sin. We think it's too barbaric. We falsely believe that we today, that we are better than those Old Testament saints who had to appease God, his, his wrath, in that fashion. And we miss the point. We miss the point that one of the many reasons God set up the whole Old Testament sacrificial system in the first place was to keep us from sinning. I mean, for us to kill a perfectly good animal, that doesn't seem right. One of the many purpose, purposes of that system was for God to reveal the cost to the perfect animal. See, God wanted us to feel the pain of the animal as he suffered for our sin. God wanted us to see the blood as the animal dies. God wants us to smell the blood and to see how it stains our hands and our clothes. And then lastly, God wants us to see how much our sin cost him. God the Father, didn't, he didn't have to send God the Son to save our wretched souls from a very real place called hell. But he did. <laughs> and that's why we celebrate this day that we're talking about today in Scripture. We, we call it Good Friday. Why is it good? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his one and, and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So dear friends, there are a lot of people who want in the world today, they want Jesus Barabbas to save them. And yet the world is finding out that a worldly savior ultimately doesn't save. Whatever your savior is, whatever we've, we're bowing our knees down to, they will not only be disappointed in man-made gods time and time again. And yet you, dear friend, you've got the one true living God with you, living inside of you. So Pilate's question, it's a very good question for all of us today. What exactly are we going to do with the one called the Christ, the King of the Jews? My prayer is that you would take this lesson and you would go share it. Not Jesus Barabbas, but Jesus the Christ. You would share this lesson with the Verde Valley and then by doing so, you would be obedient to him, fulfilling the great commission, sharing people the truth of what's going on in the Verde Valley. A Father in heaven, you've given us a tough lesson today. I pray, Lord God, it's, it's not lost on us, the brutality that your son endured for our sin. Lord, let, let us share this message this week. Let us embrace those divine disruptions 
these God intersections for the people in our backyard. That there is an irony of Jesus Barabbas, the son of an earthly father who claims to save, and Jesus the Christ, the one true Messiah who does. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.